Hmm. We are in a series called Identity and Mission where we're asking the question of ourselves as a church, who are we and what are we doing here? Here's a picture of a layered cake and what we've been doing is sort of thinking about our identity and mission through a successive number of layers um, of different lenses maybe, but I like, I like to use cooking metaphors because I like food. So think of what we're doing as week one is like the first layer and then we're building a second layer and we've been moving through these different um, levels of ingredients which make us unique, not just as a covenant church, but as Nelson Evangelical Covenant Church. So the first layer that we looked at is the biblical story. The biblical story compels us to be people who are biblical and devotional and connectional and missional. We take the Bible seriously and its claims seriously. Devotional means we don't just try and stuff Bible knowledge in our heads for the sake of it. We want to have a lived relationship with Jesus. Connectional means we understand the church is a family, so we seek to love and support each other, not just gather on Sunday and then disperse in isolation, never to connect again until we reemerge on Sunday morning. And we're missional. We understand that God has a mission to us, and then God has a mission through us. So we're looking at ways of using our gifts, our talents, our experiences, our places of wounding, all the parts of our lives, and saying, God, use me for your mission in the world to bring healing and grace and love. And then that second layer is sort of, we talked about the, the Protestant Reformation, which is the five solas, scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to God's glory alone. And these were five onlys, solas, that emphasize that when it comes to our salvation and our standing in Christ, it's nothing to do with what we have done or what we've earned and the reformers were protesting the Catholic Church's insistence that it was faith and works or faith and certain religious sacraments that you need to be saved. And they said, no, we believe that Scripture alone has the authority, not Scripture and the Pope. And what Scripture teaches is that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's a gift. No one can boast. It's not because of our good religious performance or God sees into our heart and says, oh, you're, you're actually pretty good. I'm going to save you and not save someone else. It's a gift that we simply receive. And that salvation comes through Jesus, not through any other intermediary saint um, or Mary, the mother of Jesus, or a priest or a pastor. You can go directly to Christ for forgiveness of sins and salvation and new life. And if therefore, if God is kind of the beginning and the end and at every point in between facilitating this process, we should be living for God's glory that this should be a clarion call to the church to say we live for God's glory. God isn't, God isn't rewarding us for our good behavior. We have new life in him, completely dependent on his grace. Therefore, we now learn to live for his glory. Then we talked about pietism. Few, but a little under 200 years later, the church expands in all kinds of ways after the Reformation, but also becomes kind of mechanical and cold and what people would mostly associate with like dry religion go to church, learn the right answers, Whew, church is over and I can go back to my normal life. The pietists said, no, we've, we've missed what the reformers wanted. And so the pietists emphasized that Christianity was about life with God every day, learning to walk with Jesus. It's about a heart relationship, just as much as it is about learning the truths of God. And the pietists focused on unity, 
And they said, as a church, we're mission friends. We're in the mission of God together. That's really important. We don't just gather on Sunday to do church. We have to be the church. So that means Monday through Sunday in our different spheres of influence, but also encouraging each other to go into God's world and to be a part of God's mission using our gifts. And the other instinct that the pietists sought to reclaim at a time where there was a lot of kind of doom and gloom religion and a lot of things focused heavily on uh, maybe the negative dimensions of faith or the negative dimensions of the trajectory of where our world was going. They said, pietists are going to be people who have hope because if God is at work in us and God is at work through us in the world, then our baseline for everything should be every situation there's hope because God can break into any, any situation. There's no worldly sen- uh, scenario where God looks at it and says, oh, wow, yeah, that, that's, I can't, t- I don't know what to do about that. Like, it's just going to un- continually unravel and I have no power to uh, intervene or stop that uh, negative and destructive momentum. So the pietists were people who were pretty optimistic and pretty positive, not a pie-in-the-sky positi- uh, positivity, but it was grounded in the conviction of who God was coming out of the biblical story. Then as the pietists grew and they eventually formed this denomination that we're a part of called the Covenant, uh, Evangelical Covenant Church, and remember evangelical in their understanding had a lot to do with those instincts, life with God, focus on unity, being in God's mission, the church is a family. They eventually came to say there are six affirmations, six core beliefs that, we, that anybody who becomes part of our movement needs to understand. The first is that we fully affirm the centrality of the word of God. Second Timothy said, all scripture is God-breathed and all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And then they said, we affirm the necessity of new birth. Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. We affirm conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So it's not just enough to be trying to be a good Christian, but it's about surrendering our hearts and learning to live out of cooperation with the Spirit's leading. We affirm the commitment to the whole mission of the church. Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am, senti- I am sending you. And that's where we get the word mission from. That to be sent is to be uh, in missio. It's the old English word for missive. When you sent a letter or a communication, you were sending a missive. Something was on mission, delivering a message. And Jesus says, that's your identity as a church. Again, not, you could just come together on Sunday to kind of take in and learn something. But you do that in the broader context so that you go back out into the world together to bring God's truth and love to bear on the realities that are in front of you. Then we affirm the church is a fellowship of believers. A really famous psalm that's important to covenanters is Psalm 119. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The covenant wanted to be a, had a vision to be a big tent church where even if there was different nuances of belief in terms of what does it mean to be fully dependent on the Holy Spirit? Uh, what's going to precipitate, um, what's going to happen in human history before Jesus returns? We might have disagreements there, but as long as someone genuinely loves Jesus and is striving to live into Jesus' uh, righteous and holy call, we're, we're buds. We can worship together. They wanted to get away from micro-religious sectarianism within the Protestant church. 
And lastly, we affirm the reality of freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.13 says, Brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom as an excuse to indulge the flesh. And the flesh here is a biblical word, sarx, which means expressions of life that are uh, sinful or anti-God. So it doesn't necessarily directly tie and map to the body because there are ways of using our body that are God-glorifying. It's don't use your freedom. I'm free in Christ. I have forgiveness. Therefore, I can indulge in all kinds of self-centered sinful behavior. That would be an idea where you're gratifying the flesh. Paul says, no, rather use your freedom that you have in Christ to humbly serve one another in love. So use your heart, soul, mind, and strength and leverage it for the benefit of other peoples instead of simply satisfying your own self-serving desires. Now, today what we're going to talk about, I know that's a lot of layers. I went through a lot of layers of that cake. You're like, there's more layers? There's more layers. Today we're going to talk about seven more layers that come together to form what I would call distinctives of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And this is really important to a know about but then to kind of get a feel for because these distinctives sort of color the environment they are very helpful to know especially if you're coming into a church and maybe you're like hey i found this church nelson evangelical covenant church seems pretty good i might resonate with the word evangelical or i show up here on sundays and they teach from the bible so that's important to me as a Christian. But it's important for all of us to either be reminded or to be introduced to these distinctives because they change how our church is experienced by people. And if we don't know about these, then all of a sudden we might get three months in, six months in, two years in, and realize, wait, we, the Covenant Church thinks that? Or this is important to the Covenant Church? I don't know if that's important to me. Um... Or maybe it's not just not important to you, but it's actually something you disagree with. And so these distinctives are really important every once in a while to come back to because I don't often emphasize them up front on a Sunday. So if you kind of don't go digging, they might just kind of stay in the background and not come up until there's a point of contention. And while the affirmations of the covenant church have guided the choices of the covenant over time, those affirmations have sort of shaped a number of key distinctions, and there's seven. I'm not going to be spending a lot of time in them. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight them, explain them in the kind of the elevator pitch, 30-second to a minute um, summation, and then in your uh, bulletin, there are follow-up, there's at least one follow-up link or resource for, maybe not all of them, but for most of them, that I encourage you to read even if you're in total alignment, you're like, ah, I totally agree. Read this resource again because the stuff that the covenant produces I think is really, really well-researched and well-done and thoroughly biblical and intellectual and very, very rich. It, you, can, um, you, would, you will learn a lot from it. You'll be really, really encouraged. And so these distinctives are important to highlight because they will help you to understand what makes us different as a church and what, as a covenant church, we're seeking to emphasize and to apply to our life together. So number one, this is a theme I won't talk about too much because it's come up already in the affirmations and in the instincts, is the, e the Evangelical Covenant Church is known for emphasizing what unites us rather than what sets us apart. And so from one of the documents 
called Covenant Affirmations, we read, we as the Covenant Church, we affirm the reality of freedom in Christ, which means we offer each other theological, that means ways of understanding and articulating what we think the Bible teaches, and personal freedom where the biblical and historical record of the church seems to allow for a variety of interpretations. Um, controversies may arise over matters like baptism or how we particularly understand Jesus' atonement. But yet, our commitment to the Bible and the Word of God allows us to be together and to remain unified together in mission. And so the Covenant Church generally really wants to be a place where you don't have to have all your theological ducks in a row, and if you have slightly imprecise language, there's not going to be church police. What? What was that? That's a wrong word. We don't use that word around here. We use this word, right? We don't want to create that kind of anxious culture. We want to keep pointing people towards Jesus, having good conversations, focus on what unites us. There's a famous saying that gets attributed normally to St. Augustine, but I don't think there's historical record of him saying it, but you've probably heard it. In essential things, unity. In non-essential things, liberty. But in all things, charity. And the Covenant Church says, amen. There's too many church splits, too many divisions, too much hostility within the church. Let's be a church that tries to be gracious with one another and extend grace, especially as people are grappling through um, their own understanding and application of what it means to follow Jesus. Distinctive number two, the ECC celebrates the sacrament of baptism as commanded by Jesus in Matthew 28, and we affirm both infant and believer's baptism. Ooh, that's pretty distinctive. Not a lot of evangelical churches will do that. Normally, evangelical churches will only honor believer baptism, which means someone who of their own volition says, I've become a Christian, now I want to be baptized, and then they get baptized. Infant baptism is when you baptize infants. And the ECC says, we will honor both because this is a practice that comes, uh, that, has, that both have a history within the church and both have a theological or biblical foundation. And so while the denomination uh, has traditionally practiced baptism of infants, that was the covenant's roots because it was a Swedish Lutheran church where you were kind of born into the church. Remember, they rebelled against that idea. So that was the normal mode of baptism. They affirm believer's baptism as an equally valid mode of um, publicly declaring our faith in Christ. And they don't want the mode of baptism to, call division, to cause division. So as a pastor, I'm called to honor, if a family comes to me and says, I want my uh, child baptized, I sit down with them and make sure they understand why, and I want to understand what, why they're doing that and what their theological grounding is. But if they want that, I baptize their infant through a covenantal understanding. Not evangelical covenant, I know it gets confusing, but a biblical covenantal understanding. You can do your own digging. Just do infant versus believer's baptism, best arguments on Google, and you'll kind of get a sense of that. But the covenant also has a resource in their study on baptism, which is kind of an introduction of why they've landed there. So if you want to do more digging into that, you can go to that resource page. Distinctive number three, the evangelical covenant church is known for its affirmation of women in ministry at all levels of leadership. So the Evangelical Covenant Church has long affirmed the full participation of women in all ministries of the church and a 1976 recommendation favoring the ordination of women. 
And since that time, women have served in all levels of ministry and leadership positions within the church. And the, the, the one-sentence summation of the covenant's position is, we believe that the biblical basis for service in the body of Christ is giftedness, a call from God, and godly character, but not gender. So gender doesn't automatically give us entry into anything or automatically prevent us from anything. That some of the texts that are sometimes used as examples or very clear um, prohibitions from women to be involved in certain levels of pastoral leadership, those have to be understood within a broader context and the exceptions to those which occur sometimes in other letters by the same author, Paul, in Corinthians, or in the ministry of Jesus, or in the overall trajectory of Scripture, that those have to be taken into account too. And that's a conclusion that the covenant comes to. And I, I want to read this because it comes from this document called and gifted that I have highlighted here, but I think it's really, really good. We believe the Holy Scriptures, Old and New Testaments, are the Word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. And so the tradition within the covenant has been to always ask, where is it written? I think we should do this as a church. I think that women should be allowed or not allowed. Where is it written? Look, what do you, ground it in scripture for me. So our position, this document says, on women in ministry flows from a high view of scripture and it's not derived from cultural or social trends. We believe that women ought to minister not because society says so, but because the Bible leads the church to that conclusion. So I'd really recommend, regardless of where you are on this issue, to read that resource. It's only 24 pages, but it's incredibly well done. Very, very accessible for anybody. You don't need to have a number of years of seminary under your belt. Um, called and gifted that document. Free download. Please read it. It's very, very good. Number four, the ECC is known for its authentic and growing ethnic diversity. The Evangelical Covenant Church takes seriously both the mission of the church and the unity of Christ's church. And so they see these two commitments as kind of fusing together to press the church forward and looking for ways to grow in ethnic ministry and diversity. It's a missional motivation because if we're fulfilling Jesus' great commandment and bringing the good news to the whole world and making disciples of all nations, then our overall denominational church is going to be more ethnically diverse. It's going to be more culturally diverse. And the range of population composition, as it changes, and this is specifically focused on America, but I think it deals with lots of places in the world, including Canada, we want to make sure that we are able to address the unique mission opportunities that come from, in a sense, no longer in some cases, having to send missionaries over to parts of the world where certain ethnic or people groups or um, where there's a predominance of certain worldviews or religious worldviews that are sort of in stasis there, those individuals are being brought to us. And that's a really exciting and important mission opportunity that the church should seek to take advantage of. And this motivation is also, um, this, this distinction is also motivated by a commitment to the unity of Christ's church. And um, especially, and, and again, this is the American document, so it's gonna, there's going to be some difference there because America has a much different history al along racial lines than Canada does. But I think the overall principle is really, really good, which is to a world that is often fractured and divided along lines of ethnicity and culture or language or class or gender, 
Christ has broken those dividing walls, and now in him a new man is being made, the church, a new kind of humanity where we don't look at each other through simply a worldly point of view, but we see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and we move forward in ministry together. As that diversity happens organically, as we share the gospel, make connections in our lives, and as different people of ages and backgrounds come into our churches, that's a huge witness to the world that our churches don't just follow the pattern of baseline tribalism that is so common in many cultures, that we are this is a place, and this church, obviously, we would want to be a place where anybody who is seeking Christ could come and feel welcomed and be fully embraced and empowered for ministry. There's something called the six-fold test that you don't need to do. It's not a test for you. It's really for churches and church leadership to be thinking about in terms of how, what does this look like for our context, because obviously there might be different challenges that you face trying to pursue ethnic or um, ethnic diversity if you are in northern Alberta as opposed to Manhattan, New York City, right? So these questions are just there to challenge each church to think through the implications of what does it look like to be reaching out to and caring for an increasingly broader spectrum of people beyond just the in-group that might be easiest for you as a particular church or within a region. Distinction five, the ECC is known for its sexual ethic that affirms faithfulness in heterosexual marriage and celibacy and singleness as the standard for the Christian sexual ethic. So we believe, as an evangelical covenant church, that faithful discipleship means the pursuit of that standard, that we either express sexuality within the confines of a heterosexual marriage, man and woman, or outside of that opportunity, we pursue celibacy in faithfulness to Jesus, that those are the biblical options before us. We, we want to make it very clear that there is forgiveness for those who have not fulfilled this ideal, but we do believe that faithful discipleship requires all of us to repent of any sinful s sexual expression, any s uh, sinful sexual pattern, and pursue holiness. Of course, with God's help, but to pursue holiness across all of our relationships. Now, into an evangelical subculture, and again, I don't, it's hard to know, this, this can vary quite widely depending on the particular context, but into a, broadly speaking, maybe an evangelical culture that has sometimes communicated particular scorn or derision or dismissal or even hatred towards LGBTQ individuals, we as the Covenant Church want to learn how to love and care for LGBTQ individuals with the love and grace of Christ. So we reject and we renounce a posture that is demonizing or dismissive or dehumanizing towards members of that community. And we want to do all we can to listen to the concerns and challenges that exist for those in that community, and especially for uh, Christians who would say, I struggle with some of these, with my sexuality in these ways. We want to be particularly attentive and to help disciple them towards uh, the standard that we're all called to. And so we want to be known as a church that is committed to helping all of its members pursue that standard, right? That's a challenge, that's a challenge to every single one of us faithfulness in heterosexual marriage or faithfulness in celibacy outside of that marriage context. We want to be a church that is helping everybody 
um, steward their sexuality faithfully and express it faithfully. And that means graciously, I believe, affirming this sexual standard and its implications for all of us while providing love and support for those who are challenged by the implications of what pursuit of that looks like. Either the challenges that exist within a marital relationship of pursuing that standard or outside of that standard. We have a suite of resources that we've made that specifically are wrestling with what does it look like to uphold the standard while offering care and support specifically to LGBTQ individuals and in the community. And you can find that at covchurch.org slash embrace. There's a number of different written resources, video resources, interviews with people, really, really good stuff. Um, and I'm really grateful that our, the posture that we, as much as it depends on us, we want to um, uh, live and minister out of a posture that says we're going to be careful to not do what some uh, churches have done in the past or some movements, which is to highlight particular kinds of sins over here and magnify them beyond um, appropriate importance. We want to be a church that is, broadly speaking, pursuing Jesus, pursuing holiness, being honest about the demands that has for us and for other people, but also supporting everybody towards that and not, again, holding a posture towards any particular community that is... Um, yeah, dehumanizing where they feel like we're actually not seeking to love and care for them. Distinctive number six. This, you might think, is kind of boring, but it's kind of important. The ECC is known for its congregational polity. Womp, womp. Polity, what does it mean? It means like kind of politics, the ways of organizing and getting together, the way you do church. Here's what's awesome about being part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. As a church we get to retain authority over our mission and our ministry and then we get to have all the supports at a denominational level that we need to fulfill that. That's really cool because what that means is if all of a sudden we're like, we think our church is called to do this ministry and everyone's excited and we go in this direction and we notify the ECC, they're not going to come back at us and say, ooh, good, minute, good idea, love it, but that's not really fitting our blueprint because we have a blueprint for what Canadian churches need to be doing and this is what you guys need to be doing. So if you want to do your thing as like a side item to our project, totally fine. But we've got ideas. And then we're left being like, hey, ECC Canada or in the US, like we're in Nelson. We know what we need to do here. We know what God's calling us to do here. Please don't be a stumbling block. And they're like, we're not a stumbling block. We're just like a big brother who loves you and knows what's better for you. That's not the way the ECC operates. They say, we trust local leadership to figure out the ministry expression that works best for you. And if you need help on that, we have a whole bunch of people and resources that can help. So it's kind of cool because at the local level, us here, we get to sort of operate with all the freedom of being non-denominational, but we have all the supports of being a part of a denomination with over 850 churches in North America. So that congregational polity is pretty rare because the bigger most denominations get, the more control they want to exert. And the ECC has intentionally done the risky thing of saying, we keep getting bigger and bigger, but we're going to keep giving authority over to local churches to figure out how God is calling them to do ministry and we want to resource them. That's a really courageous posture of leadership and it's something that 
makes our denomination really special. And finally, the ECC is known for understanding that discipleship to Jesus means embracing evangelism together with compassion, mercy, and justice. We don't want to be known as a church who just simply tells people the gospel, but gives evidence to the fact that we want whole, that we believe the gospel has whole person implications. So again, we don't just pass someone on the street and say, God loves you, want to pray for you, want God, have God's blessing to be over you. We also give them winter weight socks so that our intention and our heart, which is often sincere, gets backed up with concrete evidence of we want to extend mercy and compassion, and in some cases even justice, where we can do that. And so the Covenant Church has this initiative called BLESS, which is an evangelism process, but it's really just how to be kind to people and show, show them Jesus' love. The B stands for begin with prayer, prayer for people. L, um, listen very well. Listen to people's story. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. Understand where these people are coming from. What do they need? E, eat together, coffee, break bread together, connect, serve them is the first S, serve in love, and then share your story. As they begin to wonder, why would you invest in me like this? Why would you give $10,000 to all the public elementary schools around here? Why would you try and get 200, 250, 300 winter weight socks? Like, what benefit is that to you? We can just be honest and say, oh, well, the benefit for us is we get the joy of being able to honor God and bless other people, but we're not expecting any kind of a return on investment. This is just what we're called to do when we, when we feel compelled by God's Spirit in light of Jesus' love to do this. The Covenant Church wants to practice these principles, though, beyond the individual level. They want to do it at the macro level, especially with their missionaries. They want to make sure that Covenant missionaries like Colleen aren't simply going down to Argentina with a posture that says, I have all the answers, here's what we're going to do, execute. It's instead someone who comes and serves and brings this ethos so that groups who are maybe used to missionaries coming and kind of telling them the right way to do things instead are empowered by a missionary who comes and says, hey, I have some ideas, but first I want to listen to you. I want to understand your needs. I want to understand the particular makeup of this congregation. What makes you guys special? What's on your heart? What are the opportunities? What do you want to do? And then how could I be a part of supporting that? Just like the denomination says, uh, you know, we want to have autonomy at the local level. We trust individual churches. Our missionaries are taught to not simply just go and give the right answers, but to go to serve and to say, if this is what you're doing, the Covenant Church, and there's churches up in Canada and the states that have paid for me to be here to be a resource for you on the ground of encouragement and maybe resource support or um, shrink a certain skill gap that you might have. But again, it comes from a place that says the Covenant Church is interested in doing more than just telling people the good news about Jesus. It's about making sure that comes with uh, concrete acts of charity, mercy, and justice. And so in the covenant, the summation is we love God, we love God's word, we love God's world, we love God's family, and we strive to obey the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is love God with everything you've got, love your neighbors yourself. The great commission is go and make disciples. 
and go to the ends of the earth, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So these seven layers, these distinctives, come together to kind of flavor the average evangelical church in a way that might not be readily apparent when you first come in and just take in a service or go to a Bible study, but over time, hopefully you begin to realize, oh, this might be a little bit different, especially if you've come from a different denominational background and you just kind of presumed, well, don't all evangelicals think this way or don't all Christians think this way or don't all covenant churches think this way? What we do, these distinctives will probably help you to be able to just discern little tweaks that you'll say, oh, that's why they do that, or that's why they don't do this. That's very, very interesting. And that can be helpful because it allows you, hopefully earlier on in the process, to either say, this is super exciting to me. I thought you were just like every other evangelical church. I'm really excited to be a part of the covenant. Or there's one or two of these distinctives that the opposite view is a very high value for me. And I can't, I, I can't really in good conscience support and it doesn't excite me to be, be a part of a church that has this as part of their DNA. And that's okay too because the covenant doesn't try and be all things for all people. We want to unify in mission but we also understand there's going to be times where people say this is believer's baptism versus infant. I have very strong opinions of that. Totally fine. Are you able to hold your opinions but to be gracious to those who don't hold your opinions here? Honestly, Jeff, I don't think I can. Like I... I can't. Totally fine. Then let's help transition you to another church where you can fully live into that mission. So in knowing the flavor of who we are and who we're becoming and growing into and expanding in terms of our identity and mission as a covenant church, I think is really, really important. It's not the flavor for everybody, but I think it's a really, really great recipe for kingdom mission and involvement, a really gracious and big and exciting and expansive understanding of what it means to follow Jesus that should challenge you personally, if you are a believer, should challenge us as a church. I think it's awesome. So these are the distinctives that make us different, but not just different for the sake of being different, not just to distinguish ourselves as a different brand of church. These distinctives are there to facilitate mission for the glory of God and for our neighbor's good. And if that's exciting to you, then let's continue to go in mission together with that same aim. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Covenant Church. I thank you for a lot of denominations, God. Some people are really down on denominations and there's too many, but often denominations come from a heart of saying, this is important to us. And so in some ways, all these different denominations don't just speak to maybe division, but they also speak to passion and clarity around certain priorities and distinctives. And I thank you that in the Covenant Church, we try to be a really big tent movement that says, if you sincerely love Jesus, if you love God, you love his word, you love his world, you love his people, then there, there can be a place for you here. And I love that we try and focus on the main things while at the same time not being, uh, being having the courage to stand on scriptural truth and principles. God, give us grace to know how to live that out in a way that is faithful and winsome and gracious, but also courageous amongst each other, within our context here in Nelson, across Canada and North America and the world, God. To the extent that we do this, God, I pray that you will bless us um, and just continue to have your hand of favor on the covenant family of churches. 
So may these distinctives challenge us. May we maybe do our homework in some of these areas, follow up. And uh, really, even if we don't under, um, fully understand or agree with all these distinctives, uh, may we do our homework so that we can understand and appreciate where the covenant church and our covenant brothers and sisters are coming from. Thank you for this time and for the ministry of this church. Amen.